0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 9th, 2023 Thursday reading of the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Donna. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. International Women's Day. Events highlight gaps in gender equality. Demonstrations in cities around the world highlight the need for providing equity. Written by Syrian Giles and Mari Yamaguchi of the Associated Press. NOCO Regional Airport. Fort Collins Council rarely OKs $1 million for terminal. Written by Dallas Hetzel. Case Filed. City Manager Faces Lawsuit. Stacey Lynn is seeking $350,000 in damages over alleged shove, written by Jocelyn Rowley. And following up with miscellaneous articles. International Women's Day. Events highlight gaps in gender equality. Madrid. From demands for constitutional rights in Islamabad to calls for economic parity in Manila, Paris, and Madrid, International Women's Day demonstrations in cities around the world Wednesday highlighted the unfinished worth of providing equity for half of the planet's population. While activists in some places celebrated political and legal advances, observances also pointed to repression in countries such as Afghanistan and Iran, and the large numbers of women and girls who experienced sexual assaults and domestic violence globally. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres noticed this week that women's rights were abused, threatened, and violated around the world and gender equality won't be achieved for 300 years, given the current pace of change. Progress won over decades is vanishing because the patriarchy is fighting back, Guterres said. Even in countries where women have considerable freedom, there have been recent setbacks. This was the first International Women's Day since the US Supreme Court ended the constitutional right to abortion last year, and many states adopted restrictions on abortion. The United Nations recognized International Women's Day in 1977, but the occasion has its roots in labor movements of the early 20th century. The day is commemorated in different ways, and to varying degrees in different countries. The United Nations identified Afghanistan as the most repressive country in the world for women and girls since the Taliban takeover in 2021. The UN mission said Afghanistan's new rulers were imposing rules that leave most women and girls effectively trapped in their homes. They have banned girls' education beyond sixth grade and barred women from public spaces such as parks and gyms. Women must cover themselves from head to toe, and are also barred from working at national and international non-governmental organizations. Afghan women's rights campaigner Zubaida Akbar told the UN Security Council that women and girls in the country are facing the worst crisis for women's rights in the world. The Taliban have sought not only to erase women from public life, but to extinguish our basic humanity," said Zubaida. There is one term that appropriately describes the situation of Afghan women today. Gender apartheid. Women gathered in Pakistan's major cities to march amid tight security. Organizers said the demonstrations were aimed at seeking rights guaranteed by the Constitution. Some conservative groups last year threatened to stop similar marches by force. Women's rights activists in Japan had a small rally to renew their demand for the government to allow married couples to keep using different surnames. Under the 1898 Civil Code, a couple must adopt the surname of the husband or wife at the time of marriage. Surveys show majority support for both men and women keeping their own names. In the Philippines, hundreds of protesters from various women's groups rallied in Manila for higher wages and decent jobs. We are seeing the widest gender pay gap, protest leader John Salvador said. We are seeing an unprecedented increase in the number of women workers who are in informal work without any protection. The first female leader of Tanzania, President Samia Suhulu Hassan said during an International Women's Day rally organized by an opposition party that she has brought a new level of political tolerance to the East African nation. Hassan has been accused of continuing her predecessor's John Magufuli anti-democratic policies, but she lifted a six-year-old ban on opposition rallies in January. The opposition is lucky that it is a woman president in charge, because if a misunderstanding occurs, I will stand for peace and make men settle their egos, the president said. In Turkey, women converged on a central Istanbul neighborhood to try and demonstrate for their rights and protest the staggering toll of the deadly quake that hit Turkey and Syria a month ago. Thousands braved an official ban on the march and were met by police who fired tear gas and detained several people. Similar incidents marred past year's efforts to hold the march. Groups held banners saying, we are angry, we are in mourning, a reference to more than 46,100 people in Turkey who died in unsafe buildings and the hundreds of thousands left homeless in the February 6 quake. In Europe, Hundreds of ethnic Albanian women in Kasano's capital protesting domestic violence through black and red smoke bombs at the police headquarters. The protesters, who rallied under the slogan, we march, do not celebrate, accused police, the prosecutor's office, and the courts of gender discrimination. In Russia, where International Women's Day is a national holiday. President Vladimir Putin presented state awards to several women during a Kremlin ceremony. He singled out a military paramedic and a journalist for fulfilling their duties during the war in Ukraine, which the Kremlin insists on calling a special military operation. In Spain alone, hundreds of thousands of women, with expectations taking the total over one million, as in previous years, attended evening demonstrations in Madrid Barcelona, and other cities. Big rallies were also organized in many other cities around the world, and while some countries only minor events were held. Although Spain has for years produced one of the biggest turnouts on March 8th, this year's marches are marked by a division within its own left-wing government over a sexual liberty law that has inadvertently led to the reduction of sentences for hundreds of sexual offenders. Spain's feminists are also split over a new transgender rights law that took effect last week and allows anyone 16 and older to change their gender on official documents without medical certification. At a public Women's Day event, a group of young women interrupted Equality Minister Irene Montero to argue with her about the law, which some feminists argue threatens to erase or displace women. Elsewhere in Europe, tens of thousands of people marched in Paris and other French cities, brandishing posters with the messages Equal Pay Now and Solidarity with the World's Women. The rallies focused on protesting proposed changes to the pension system, which women's groups say are unfair to working mothers. The protests came hours after President Emmanuel Macron's government presented a new gender equity plan, which would prohibit companies that do not publish a gender equity index or have a poor rating from getting public contracts. Women's salary in France are, on average, 15.8% below men's. NOCO Regional Airport. Fort Collins Council warily okays $1 million for a terminal. Northern Colorado Regional Airport on Tuesday got the final $1 million dose of money it needed to begin construction on a new, scaled-down terminal. But the Fort Collins City Council 5-2 to second reading approval came after plenty of scolding. I'm holding my nose to support the outlay, said Councilmember Shirley Peel. I won't support any money after this, Mayor Jenny Arndt who also sits on the Airport Commission, said she, too, would balk at anything else. The council had voted to approve the contribution on first reading February 21st, with council member Kelly Olson the lone no vote, noting that he disagreed with the airport's co-ownership arrangement as well as how the facility codenamed FNL is governed. But in the two weeks since that meeting, support for the airport's management took a one two punch. In a special meeting called with three days' notice last Thursday, the Airport Commission, citing safety risks, voted to demolish four of its hangars, displacing aircraft owned by dozens of tenants at a time when storage space for the small planes is scarce along the northern front range. Meanwhile, Council members learned that the Federal Aviation Administration had decided to end the experimental remote control tower system it had implemented in 2015 at Leesburg Executive Airport in Virginia. The same system also being tried at the Fort Collins Loveland Airport. I feel a lot less like an outlier now because of the new developments, Olson said, and member Emily Francis agreed changing her vote from yes two weeks ago to no on Tuesday after telling airport director Jason Lichen that she had too many concerns with the airport and the feasibility of it becoming the hub you want. Although scaled back from its original $31 million plan to an estimate of $25 million, a new 19,000 square foot terminal still is being designed to include two airline gates, in hope that the airport, co-owned by the cities of Fort Collins and Loveland, can once again lure scheduled commercial airline service, which it lost in 2019 when Allegiant Travel Company canceled its routes from the airport to Mesa, Arizona and Las Vegas, and last June when Avilo Airlines suspended flights to Las Vegas and Burbank, California, just after eight months. Airport officials are eager to get the construction underway, hoping for completion by late twenty twenty four. Fort Collins' contribution matches an equal amount approved ununanimously in January by Loveland City Council, plus two million dollars from airport reserves, all designed to secure an anticipated twenty one million dollars in federal coronavirus aid, relief, and economic security cares act money to build the terminal. Lycan told council members that the airport's 10-year financial plan includes operations and maintenance at the terminal. He said it's currently earning a per-passenger payment from Landline, a Fort Collins company that shuttles passengers between FNL and Denver International Airport, and that money can be used as a revenue stream until scheduled airline service is restored. Feuding a question about the future of the airport's remote air traffic control pilot program, Lycan pointed out that the Virginia project was driven by the private sector, whereas the one at FNL was driven by the Federal Aviation Administration with no local investment. We are looking at contingency plans. We went in knowing that it might not be certified, Lycan said. There have been some changes, a lot of it stemming from the FAA changing some of its rules recently. According to Arndt's concern that Fort Collins might be asked to help cover the cost to demolish the old hangars, Lykin said the airport is looking for options and has fielded some interest from groups that are willing to tear them down and recycle the debris. During the public comment period before the vote, Economic Development Consult Joe Rowan said he supported the $1 million outlay to fill the funding gap for the new terminal, expressing a great deal of respect for what Jason and the airport board has done in crafting a dynamic and well functioning transportation system that can always be better. However, Steve McClintock, a founding member of the FNL Pilots Association, called the terminal a bridge to nowhere he said he suspected that Lycan's ambition is to replace general aviation with multi-million dollar hangar for jets at the northern colorado airport but added that it'll never be the mini dia jason wants in 2021 fort collins loveland jet center incorporated approached airport management with a proposal to spend 25 million dollars to 30 million dollars to expand its jet hangar operations. Airport staff members negotiated a lease and brought it to the Airport Commission for approval, but the Commission faced a buzzsaw of criticism from private general aviation operators at FNL, 60 of whom would be displaced by the jet center expansion. Currently, nearly every general aviation airport between Cheyenne Wyoming, and Colorado Springs has waiting lists for hangar space. Michael Fassi, a major in the Civil Air Patrol in Colorado, said Tuesday that Fort Collins' $1 million would have been better spent on maintenance at the airport than on a new terminal. He asked the council to take a step back and come up with a viable option for the aircraft owners who will be displaced when the four hangars are demolished. Fassi said the CAP might be able to find a home at Greeley's Airport for its evicted plane, but that could put the aircraft further away from where it's needed for search and rescue missions. And as any first responder will tell you, time is important. The hangars, built between 1965 and 1977 by private developers, were deeded to Loveland and Fort Collins after long-term leases had expired. The airport has been leasing the hangars to private aircraft owners on a month-to-month basis since 2020. The four buildings contain 57 usable hangar units with 64,500 square feet of storage space and house the aircraft of 47 individual tenants. A news release issued by the Airport Commission last week said FNL has been able to extend the usage of these buildings to maximize their available lifespans but can no longer be supported by the cities due to multiple factors that are due to an age and deterioration. The release said a gradual phase-out for the old hangars was originally intended to ease the impact on tenants and allow the new hangar development to take place, but a structural analysis of the buildings identified structural concerns, limiting their time for use. However, Fassi told BizWest that the analysis was done last September, adding, Now it shows up? I don't understand the rush and why this has popped up now. Noting that the targeted hangars generate $214,000 a year in rent revenue, Fassi asked why that revenue hasn't been used to take care of them over the years, instead of letting them deteriorate. The airport has offered to provide outdoor tie-downs for the evicted small planes. But Fassi told BizWest that the sun and hail would beat the out of them, and then the insurance company is not going to cover it. I don't think the pilots are being unrealistic. Interviewed before Tuesday's meeting, airline pilot Mark Cohen, secretary treasurer of the FNL Hangar Association and General Aviation, doesn't get the care and feeding it's due. More people want to go after the commercial stuff, because that's what makes your operation get big, instead of a bunch of Cessnas and weekend warriors. There's no glamour to that part of General Aviation, but with no air carrier, General Aviation is paying all the bills out there at FNL. Cohen, a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel who ran an air base in Kuwait and ran programs for one in Italy, said he would have prioritized getting a permanent control tower and expanding a runway at FNL before building a terminal. Those first two things I listed are pretty much safety issues, Cohen said, especially if their premise is about safety, then safety ought to be their focus on the airfield. Noting that Centennial Airport in Arapaho County announced Monday that it had received $4 million from the FAA to pay for site selection, engineering, and design for a new air traffic control tower, Cohen said, Not many airlines are going to want to operate in and out of FNL without a control tower. When the northern colorado regional airport commission decided the old hangars were irreparable and could not be updated to meet the current codes it agreed to give owners until april 20th to present an alternative plan that would buy them more time the airport has published information on its decision on its website at flynoco.com airport hangars with a public town hall will be held at 3:30 pm thursday at the jet center 4824 Earhart Road in Loveland City Manager Faces Lawsuit An otherwise routine Loveland City Council meeting was briefly disrupted Tuesday when Larimer County resident Bill Mowinney announced a lawsuit against City Manager Steve Adams during public comment. Steve Adams, you have been served Mowinney said after handing the paperwork to City Clerk Deadline Color Iron. He then exited the chambers. The suit was fired on Tuesday in the 8th Judicial District Court by McWinney's daughter, Stacy Lynn, over an incident that occurred on March 29th, 2022 at the Larimer County Justice Center. Lynn, an independent journalist, alleges that Adam shoulder-checked her as she recorded city officials exiting a courtroom following a hearing on an open records request fired by... Mayor Jackie Marsh. In June, Adams was charged with one count of misdemeanor harassment stemming from the incident. In state statutes, harassment is defined as striking, shoving, kicking, or otherwise touching another person with intent to harass, annoy, or alarm. Adams remained on the job as the criminal case progressed, despite calls for his suspension or termination. He later agreed to enter the court's adult diversion program rather than go to trial. In exchange for completing community service and a conflict management course, the charge against Adams was dismissed and case records were then sealed. After the conclusion of the criminal case, Lynn released video footage of the encounter from three sources, including her own recording, taken as it happened. It does not show physical contact between Lynn and Adams, but he does appear to look and walked directly towards her and passed by at a close proximity. Lynn remained on her feet during the incident and later denied that it caused pain to a Laramie County deputy who took her initial report. The incident and subsequent legal case was a frequent topic of comment at Loveland City Council meetings, where detractors and supporters of the city manager sounded off for several consecutive weeks through the fall. Among the former were Marsh, who called for a special council meeting to investigate the matter, but was ultimately rebuffed by other council members. At his annual performance review in December, Adams received a 6% raise from council, boosting his annual pay to $230,624. In the suit, Lynn is seeking voluntary relief of $3,500,000 for two claims, harassment, and intentional infliction of severe emotional distress. She alleges that the incident with Adams led to the untimely full stop of her journalism work, due to, in part, traumatic emotional and psychological impact. Lynn claims that she felt unsafe in the aftermath of the shove, which ultimately led to her hair falling out, along with trouble eating, sleeping, and doing other daily activities, She further alleges that the encounter had a chilling effect on her investigation into what she calls the city of Loveland's ongoing corruption. Adams has 21 days to file a response to the complaint. In an email, Loveland Engagement Coordinator and Public Information Officer Nicole Yost acknowledged the suit but did not offer any comment on Lynn's allegations. The city is aware of the complaint and recognizes the importance of allowing the justice system to work through its processes and make decisions accordingly, she wrote. As an organization, the city of Loveland remains focused on providing the high-level service and dedication the Loveland community expects every day. Yost also indicated that Adams will not face any employment-related disciplinary action unless directed by city council. There is no attorney of record for Lynn named in the complaint. In September, Denver attorney Wade Eldridge laid out the groundwork for the suit, where he provided a notice of claim on Lynn's behalf to Adams and the Loveland City Attorney's Office, Mayor Jackie Marsh, and the Colorado Attorney General's Office. Neither Eldridge nor Lynn responded to the reporter-herald requests for comment on the matter. Obituaries Brenda Mahoney of Loveland, cremation, Bradley Michael of Nunn, cremation, Juanita Williams of Milliken, cremation, no services are scheduled, Robert Albert of Loveland, arrangements pending, Cheryl Baylock of Loveland, cremation, no services, James Campbell of Loveland, cremation, no services at this time. Edward Cordova of Severance, Memorial Service, March 18th, 2023, 10.30 at Vigott Funeral Home. James Duke of Loveland, body will be donated to science. Carmen Flores Perez of Loveland, viewing today, 4 to 8 p.m. at Vigott Funeral Home. Memorial Service, Friday, 10.30 a.m. at Vigott Funeral Home. Kelly Green of Loveland, arrangements pending. Cleon Lavashek of Loveland, arrangements pending. Sally Lawson of Thornton, arrangements pending. Kay Lechman of Loveland, memorial service Saturday, 10.30 a.m. at Vygut Funeral Home with a reception following service at Vygut Reception Center. Lovetta Power of Lexna, Kansas, cremation, no services. Norma Watts of Loveland, cremation. Services will be held in Mississippi. Thank you for joining us for the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Donna. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.